Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Friday, September the 29th, almost at the end of the month. Coming up, we've got details on everything going on in the county this weekend that you need to know about. But our top story today is that a child has been pulled out of a school in Tunbridge after his mum found a blade in his bag. The eight-year-old claims it was put there by another pupil. Well, Lucy joins me now with more on this story. Lucy, where did this happen? Well, the little boy goes to Cage Green Primary and the discovery was made when his mum went through his bag after she'd picked him up. 32-year-old Amy Collison has described the blade as looking like a rusty Stanley blade, which was about three inches long. In fact, you can see a picture of it at Kent Online. And what did her son say about it? Well, Amy's told us Freddie got a bit upset and said a classmate had gone through his bag and when he was challenged, he told Freddie to shut up and pushed him. Amy didn't let him go into lessons the following day but arranged a meeting with the school. And what have they had to say, Lucy? Well, we did ask the school for a comment but they didn't respond. However, in an email sent to parents that's been seen by Kent Online, they say they are aware of some rumours circulating that a pupil had brought a knife into school and go on to say they take the possibility of a weapon very seriously. The email says a lengthy investigation was carried out and found no evidence of any knives being taken into school. They end by encouraging parents to speak to their children about what can and can't be taken into class. Lucy, thank you ever so much. We have also been told that Freddie has been given a place in a new school and will start on Monday. Kent Online News. A man's been taken to hospital after being stabbed in Canterbury. It happened on Station Road East in the early hours of this morning. The victim's been taken to a London hospital. We're told his injuries are not thought to be life-threatening. A little boy from Sittingbourne has lost his toes after his foot was trapped in an escalator during a family day out in London. This is a horrific story. The four-year-old got his Wellington boot stuck at London Bridge Station and his family are taking legal action against Network Rail. Well, a spokesperson for the company says safety is their number one priority. An investigation is underway after a sex attack in Maidstone. A woman's told police it happened in an alleyway halfway up Gabriel's Hill in the early hours of last Saturday. Officers say they're reviewing CCTV. Meantime, police have used a stinger to stop a vehicle following a high-speed chase near Dartford. It crashed into a wall in Ainsford yesterday morning and two people tried to run away. They were arrested in nearby Woodland thanks to help from a drone and police dogs. Firefighters have spent the night at the scene of a large fire at a farm near Ashford. This was our lead story on yesterday's episode. Several buildings and tonnes of hay caught alight at the site in Selinge on Wednesday night. Well, it was brought under control within a few hours, but crews say it could take some days for the blaze to be completely extinguished. Neil Jones is from Kent Fire and Rescue. We advise uh, people to keep their doors and windows closed. Um, there was some power supply issues. Uh, we, we had network power on the scene. Uh, to isolate the power to the farm. I believe all the power's been restored to the local area now and it's just a farm that's isolated from the grid. We're working with the family um, to support them at this uh, time of need. Uh, We're working with the the farmer to make sure he's got enough feed for his cattle um, and also we're controlling the fire as well, allowing the fire to burn out and we'd be on scene all the time time the fire's alight. 
Um, so that'll be for the next few days. Meantime, firefighters have been called to a farm in Medway after two barns there, along with a large haystack caught alight. The blaze on Britannia Road in High Halstoke broke out yesterday evening. And a person's been rescued after a fire at a house in Whitstable. Four fire engines were called to Cromwell Road in the early hours of this morning and crews spent more than seven hours tackling the flames. Three people were treated by paramedics for the effects of breathing in smoke. Kent Online reports. Taxi drivers in Maidstone, Sevenoaks and Tunbridge Wells could soon be forced to take card payments. Now, local bosses are considering the move after a number of people complained about the lack of card readers. But there are those who've also raised concerns, such as poor internet connections. We're told a final decision will be made in November. Provisions for disabled parking at a Kent hospital have been labelled shambolic after more than 20 cars were seen queuing for spaces. Patients at the William Harvey in Ashford have been forced to wait for a spot in the Blue Badge car park. The East Kent Hospital Trust say an extra 22 accessible parking bays will be made available at the start of next month. A Sheerness man who caused hundreds of pounds of damage to a salon while high on cocaine has avoided being sent to prison. Aaron Buckingham smashed himself into the window of the building on Broadway before getting in his car and driving off. The 36-year-old from Harris Road has got to do 100 hours of unpaid work and has been banned from driving. Now, next today, green campaigners in Kent are welcoming a ban on single-use plastics that comes into force this weekend. From October the 1st, restaurants, takeaways and sandwich shops won't be able to use things like plastic plates, bowls and cutlery. It's all part of government plans to reduce the amount that ends up in landfill. Well, Liz O'Hanlon founded the Raynham Eco Hub and she's been speaking to Kate. It's been something that various environmental organisations have been campaigning for for quite a number of years. So in the last couple of years, straws have been banned, stirrers, plastic bags and things like this. So campaigners have just kind of, rather than kind of limping across the line little by little, have been championing that the the ban goes further and more kind of single-use plastic items are banned. And do you think that the ban that's about to come into force, do you think that that goes far enough? I mean, in essence, no. I think um, in one of the surveys that was done, around 96% of the people that were surveyed agreed that it was a good thing to do. Um, but there was a, a percentage where around 64% of people believe that um, the government isn't going far enough and that actually full ban on single-use plastics um, across other sectors and across, you know, in different formats should should take place as well. So it's obviously a good thing, but there's always more that can be done and the kind of baby steps, you know, aren't necessarily happening quick enough. And once we do take these single-use plastics out of circulation, what sort of impact is that going to have on the environment? Plastic ends up in oceans, rivers. It causes um, pollution and problems for wildlife on land as well. And not just that, but plastic that doesn't end up getting disposed of correctly can end up as micro microplastics in waterways. We can end up ingesting it, eating it. Animals can eat it. People who eat meat who then ingest those animals are taking plastic in. So ultimately, recycling has been presented to us for the last 20 years as being the solution. But actually, it's not. It's about turning the tap off the consumption in the first place because the man- the processes just aren't there to recycle the plastic to get to get rid of it once it's been manufactured in the first place so this is a good first step and it's probably the the only step is just reducing the amount that's manufactured in the first place but in terms of the impact it's going to have it means that actually we're just starting to turn the tap off the consumption because consumption continues to increase 
across the globe and what just what are we doing with it it just ends up in in waterways and do, do you think it's going to be effective particularly in the um initial phases when it's first rolled out do you think people will say dob in their local takeaway for still using single-use plastics i think most people broadly speaking want to do the right thing so i think with things like a ban it's it's a great way just to kind of go you know i know i should do something and it signals the time is now and so for me, that's why I think a ban is really important because it it forces people's hand in the main. They are good people. And, you know, there are great alternatives out there. There's great schemes for bring your own cup, you know, using bamboo or metal or encouraging people to think differently in the same way. It was a huge deal when they first banned plastic bags. And now it's totally normal. People remember to bring their bags in the main. So I think it will start to change habits. Will it mean that people dob in? dobbing people that aren't following the rules i mean potentially but actually i think if we if we have the faith that most people want to do the right thing i think eventually it will be led by consumers who are um who want to do the right thing as well and actually if if everybody is doing it hopefully that will bring the people who are perhaps dragging their feet or don't see the importance of it on their bit of their business um it may have you know in the short term um an increase in costs as people start to look for new suppliers. But obviously that's going to drive up demand, which hopefully in turn will drive down the prices of the alternatives as well. So I think let's let's be positive, let's be optimistic that people do want to do the right thing, that it will go in the right direction. You can let us know what you think. We've got an explainer on this on the trending section of Kent Online where you can also leave a comment. Kent Online reports. We've got a really interesting interview now with Tom Parker's widow who's spoken out as part of a campaign to get more of us talking about loss. Now, you may recall that Tom, who was a singer in The Wanted, died last year after being diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Kelsey Parker lives in Kent and is sharing her story as she hopes to inspire others to start discussions with grieving friends and family members. The mum of two says people try to avoid talking about it in case they make anyone else upset. This is what she's had to say. As a nation, I just feel like we are awful about talking about death. It's such a taboo topic. Everyone's so scared that they might say the wrong thing. But for me, there is no wrong or right thing to say, you know. It's about having these discussions and, and talking about grief and loss. Uh, and what inspires you to share what is a very personal story for you and how do you hope it will change the narrative around grief and loss? For me, sharing my experience and my journey has been so important because I feel like I've opened up them conversations that people weren't necessarily ha having. And, you know, Tom died at the age of 33, that's no age to die, but having them conversations have, has helped me actually grieve and heal. On that point, do you think that opening up and sharing your thoughts and feelings has helped you and your family to cope better with Tom's loss? I, it's massively helped me opening up and being as honest as I possibly can with people because also I feel like then my friends and family know where I'm at in my grief journey. And you know, this grief journey is gonna be forever. This is not just for the now, this is my life going forward. And did you come up against anyone who didn't wanna talk about it? People used to actually cross the road to not speak to me because they didn't know what to say, but there honestly is no right or wrong thing to say. It's just having them conversations and being there for someone. And what was your way of handling those people that didn't want to have those conversations? I actually felt quite sad when then people didn't want to have the conversation with me because my happy place is talking about Tom. So those that didn't want to have them conversations with me, I just felt sad for them. And also it's just quite awkward 
but I get why they would feel like that because it is an awkward topic and it's such a hard-hitting conversations and I feel like people actually get more emotional talking to me about Tom and his death because they can't quite believe that it's happened but for me I live it every day and uh, what what for you have been the most significant barriers preventing people from op openly discussing their experiences with death and bereavement I think people are just honestly so scared and I think it's their fear of death which makes them so scared to actually open up and discuss these topics. And, and what do you think will be found from this piece of research? I think what will be found is that people will say that they like to talk about it, but they actually don't dig down. But why? Question yourself why you don't want to talk about it. And that's only because it's fearful and we all fear the unknown, but it's okay because we are all going to die. Kent Online News. There's a warning. Overnight closures at the Dartford Crossing will cause significant disruption this weekend. One of the tunnels will be completely shut and only one lane will be open in the other from 8pm on Saturday till 10 on Sunday morning. Now, roadworks are being carried out at Junction 31, which is over on the other side in Essex. But the Blackwall Tunnel is also closed all weekend, plus there are train strikes. Don't forget, you can listen to our sister radio station, KMFM, for regular travel updates Plus, you can check out the travel blog on Kent Online as well. Following calls for the former council headquarters in Maidstone to be sold off and turned into housing, it'll go on the market today. Sessions House off Week Street is nearly 150 years old and could fetch the county council tens of millions of pounds. Well, most of the Grade 2 listed building is empty or being used for storage. It's thought a Grade 2 listed building in Faversham, meantime, that's continuing to deteriorate, could cost £5 million to restore. The local council want to bring the town warehouse back into use for the community and have asked bosses at the Swale Authority to hand over possession. The building dates back to the 15th century and it's hoped it could eventually become a cafe and events venue. Meantime, plans have been put in to build a new sixth form unit and SEN centre at a secondary school in Medway. It would be able to accommodate an additional 240 pupils at Victory Academy in Chatham. You can see what it would look like if approved on the website. And the UK's first ever multi-charity shop has opened a branch in Kent. The charity Supermarket, which is a department store for second-hand star clothing, has opened at Blue Water. The business sell pre-loved items that would have otherwise gone to landfill while supporting 10 UK-based charities. Now with a roundup of everything going on in Kent this weekend, here's Sam Laurie. We're finally coming into autumn. October is a mere two days away and the weather has certainly cooled down. And if you're anything like me, you can't wait to get into your favourite jumper and spend the evening indoors watching the Great British Bake Off. But just because a cosy night in feels very tempting at this time of year, that doesn't mean you still can't get out and have a great time. In just a few days, many of Kent's beautiful pumpkin patches will be opening up for the season. And what better way to spend a day than picking your own pumpkins just in time for Halloween? Whether you want to fill up on a wheelbarrow to take home for jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkin pies, or simply snap a family photo among the colourful fruits and veggies, we've got a list of Kent's must-visit pumpkin patches up on Kent Online so you can find your nearest one. Speaking of things that look great on Instagram, there are two stunning light shows coming to the county this week. Lux Morales, the audiovisual company known for their spectacular displays and projections, will be lighting up both Canterbury Cathedral and Rochester Cathedral as part of their current tour. The show will be in Canterbury until Saturday before moving on to Rochester on Tuesday, and you can book tickets for both online. 
The first ever Maidstone Literary Festival is also just days away from launching, with author talks, book signings, tours and children's activities set to take over the town. The festival, which has both free and ticketed events, will start on Monday and run for the whole week. There are also some great shows worth catching this week. The Crown Jewels, a new comedy starring Al Murray, Joe Thomas and Kerry Hope Fletcher, among a host of other famous faces, is still at the Marlowe Theatre in Canterbury until Saturday. And Feel Good Musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie also starts its run at the Churchill Theatre in Bromley from Tuesday. Former EastEnders actor John Partridge stars as Jamie's drag queen mentor, Loco Chanel, and if anything will put you in a good mood, it's that. And finally, as I mentioned at the start, we are sadly saying goodbye to summer this week, and that includes this year's Margate Summer Series. The series of outdoor concerts which have been taking place at Dreamland since May will come to an end on Saturday with a headline performance from UB40 featuring Ali Campbell. There are still some tickets left, so if you want to see out the summer with a bang, you know where to go. And when you've done all of that, you can come home, make yourself a cup of tea, curl up in a blanket and put Strictly on the telly. I know that's what I'll be doing. Kent Online Sports. Football first up and it's second versus third in League Two this weekend as Gillingham take on Mansfield Town at Priestfield. The Jules will be hoping to bounce straight back from last Saturday's defeat at Doncaster. Our sports reporter Luke Cordell has been chatting to manager Neil Harris. Just talking about the excitement of the fans and second v third Saturday. Is this possibly one of the biggest challenges you had this season? Um, yeah, just just another one. You know, you look at the games and say, well, we, we were poor at Grimsby, but Grimsby were really good on the day, really good. So, well, they could be a top eight side this year with the players they got as well. Then go, we've been to Stockport and won. They just beat Wrexham five nil. Um, Sutton, okay, struggling in the league, but it's not easy to go there in in the conditions and. Um, the way they play at times make it really difficult for you and they will turn a lot of teams over um, we've been to Crawley and people thought well Crawley you know, we should go there and win because you know, they didn't finish well last year but no Crawley's not fourth <laughs> so every game's different you, you can't like I say you, I judge the league table at 12 games um, but what you can't ignore with Mansfield is they're unbeaten this year yeah. so they've got some pedigree and they've got some qualities and when I look at I look at our squad and I really like our squad and I'm really, really proud of our squad but then I look at Callum Rivers and still a little bit envious to the personnel they have like numbers wise as well um, so it just shows our aspirations of where we're at and where we want to get to um, and, and that's why it's saying to Matty about there's still a few clubs sort of like a couple of transfer windows in front of us mm. You mentioned the qualities of Mansfield and, mm. and their squad strength and like that but you're above them in the table if you're not looking at them it shows yeah. how well you've done it's Yes, yeah, we, we feel we've done well. We, we feel it's, it's, it's a tricky one, Luke, because we, we know we've got a great points total. You know, we've got great points total since January. But now we're in a healthy, really healthy position. But we always want more. You know, disappointing not to get a point or three at Doncaster. You know, I still go back to the Grimsby performance, but that's a reminder to myself and to the group that, come on, we don't slip back into that again. You know, that has to be a one-off. Um, but no, look, that's that's the demand this year. We you know we want to achieve, so I have to demand from the group. I have to demand from myself, demand from the group that that we have to hit hit the standards. Then after myself, we are playing at League Two level, and there will be dips. Mm. There will be dips, and and um, you know, we have to try and avoid them as much as possible. You mentioned you've, as a squad, you've improved a lot since you last met them. I think it's in February. You might have had mm. the players in place then, didn't you? Yeah. That you wanted to bring in 
Um, but you think you've had that time now to develop them a lot more than sort of five or six months? Yes, yeah. Um, so e- even from the summer, we've had time, you know, now. Even like sort of cut of three weeks, you no know, midweek games helps. Um, either get players fitter or messages into players. Um, players that came in in January have worked now for a period, so they know my character, um, as well as knowing what, what I like in the players. Now they want, I want them to play. Um, but then the new boys that have come in as well are important because you know you have to try and bed them in. Um, but no, we we we're going along well, you know. But there's no no bones about it. We're going along really well, um, but we always want keep moving in the right direction. And um, George Lapsley, when he sees a fixture like this, he, I mean, is he going to be close to the game? I mean, he'll be desperate to play, isn't he? It, it is desperate to play, um, but with a hamstring, the, you have to make sure um, you get the risk and reward right. Mm. You know, it's, it's a real tough one. Same with Dom, real tough one, because as much as the really important players for us, we just can't afford to lose them for, you know, take risks and lose them for, for months. Um, would be would be a real shame. So you know, we've got to make sensible decisions, and that's that's not just down to me. That's down to medical staff and support staff and the players as well. So, um, like I said, like, I can't be any clear. With, uh, I really don't know. You know, we'd have to see what the next forty-eight hours hold. Um, but if it's not for Saturday, then. You know, I'm a lot more confident and positive about Tuesday. Kick off tomorrow's at three. You'll be able to follow the match action at Kent Online. Plus, we'll have details of the result in bulletins on KMFM on Sunday morning. And England are through to the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup as a result of Samoa losing 28-22 against Japan in Pool D. They're due to play their final group game next Saturday, so a week tomorrow, but have already won three matches so far. Kent's Alex Mitchell and Ben Earl are both in the England squad. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. Plus, you can get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. And to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. And whilst you're on the site today, you can check out the latest review from our secret drinker. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. We'll be back with the podcast on Monday. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.